Do you believe that this morning? You sound like you do. I know we've had a lot of folks come in since uh, Pastor Bob gave the official welcome. And since this is a special day, I want to extend yet an additional welcome to guests who may have come in since the beginning of our service. This is National Back to Church Sunday, and we have encouraged our folks who are regular members of our, of our church to come today and also to bring guests. And so we have a lot of guests here today. And if you're a guest, we are so thankful to you that you would take some of your time from your weekend to come and worship with us at Florida Bible Church. Welcome, guests. And uh, we let's give them a hand, Florida Bible, all our guests. We hope that we've already been a blessing to you. And if you don't have a church, we hope that you'll pray about making Florida Bible your church because we would love to include you in our church family. Well, today, we're going to start a brand new series, as you might have guessed, entitled Outrageous. You know, if you study the teachings and declarations of Jesus at all, as recorded in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would have to pause numerous times and just think to yourself, or maybe even declare audibly, that's outrageous. Because Jesus made a lot of outrageous claims, and he asked us to do some pretty outrageous things with our lives for him. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of those outrageous declarations. We're going to look at some of those outrageous challenges to our lives. Now, at the top of that list, on an international basis, that which would be deemed the most outrageous thing that Jesus ever said is this, that he is the only way. People around the world, both in the United States and everywhere, when they hear that, they declare that is an outrageous claim. When I was a freshman in high school, I was trying out for the basketball team. And in our school, everyone kind of tried out at one time so the coach could, could see the entire pool. I mean, you had freshmen and those who would play JV and, and the varsity. And so we're in this, this tryout and everything's going on. I'm just this little insignificant freshman, but I knew I had game. And I wanted to show the coach that I could really play and he could count on me. And so I'm watching and all the older guys are playing. And finally, he let like one freshman at a time to see how they would do. And I finally got my chance, and I knew, okay, I'm going to show you, coach, that I can start varsity in my freshman year. I'm good. And so I had all this youthful enthusiasm, and I was running around the court like a chicken with my head cut off, and I was looking for my chance to make my mark, and finally I saw it. Out in front of me, a guy was dribbling the basketball. He was a varsity player. And I said, I'm going to show him. So I just charged ahead. I stole that ball. I was circling and dribbling between my legs and around my back. And finally, I went and I just jumped as high as I could. And I skied over the opponents. And I laid that ball just sweet off the glass, the prettiest layup you ever saw in your life. And the coach blew the whistle and stopped everything. I said, I know it. Now I know what's coming. He knows I've got game. And he said, Tokar, come here. And so I came over. I said, here it comes. I know it's coming. I just knew that somewhere in my future was a converse endorsement. (laughs) And he said, Tokar, good steal. Love your enthusiasm. He said, and you really can't handle the ball well. And he said, that was a great layup. He said, one problem. 
It was the wrong basket. (laughs) Everybody just started roaring. I was humiliated there on the floor. Well, let me ask you, is there a right and wrong basket in the spiritual game? I mean, is Christianity the only way to score with God? Or is it simply one of many ways to score with God? You might be surprised if you ask that question among people you interact with every day. Their response might surprise you. I think that there is one God, and I think that there's just many ways to get to Him. Many ways to get to Him. Many ways to get to Him. Do you think there is one specific religion that is right, or are all religions good? Or all right? religions good. All religions yeah. are right. Yeah, I don't think one specific ones. Do you believe that there is one true religion, or are all of them true? I would say that there is not one true religion, but I don't know if all of them are true. I think it's really arrogant to say that, like, my religion is the right religion and everybody else is wrong. Um, because how do you know yours is right? You could be, like, you could, that's just what your parents taught you and what, how you were raised. How, like, how do you know that your neighbor doesn't have the right religion or whatever and that yours is wrong? I think all religions are trying to get at the same thing, that answers that every culture is looking for and for higher meaning, but I don't think there's one right religion. Uh, no. I think they're all good. Um, I don't think there should be a set one. Because um, everybody has, you know, every, every religion has their, you know, ups and downs and their own little different things that people can relate to. And some have some that people want and others don't. I don't believe one religion is more equal than another. I believe that religion was created by man to help understand the being that's greater than itself, whether that be something that had created man or whether it had been something that was just guiding man, it's something that man has created in, in an effort to understand it. Well, I'm like non-denominational, which is kind of like Christian, but we read the Book of Mormon, and my best friend is Jewish. So like, how would it be right of me to say, well, since you guys don't believe like Jesus died for our sins, that, that makes you a bad person. I mean, she's my best friend. I think as long as you're a good person and um, you contribute to life and everything, then whatever's supposed to happen in the afterworld, you'll get. At the base of every religion is being a good person. And I think how it's interpreted by different groups is what changes. Do you believe that there is one specific religion that is true or do you believe that all of them are true? I believe as long as they believe in the Lord then all of them are right but as far as one religion higher than the other one if there's different gods I don't I don't believe in that. Okay. What do you mean by the Lord? Um, Jesus Christ, God. 
Half of my friends are Muslim. I'm Christian. They love to be around me because we can intellectually get into any conversation. I, I think that God, and I was reading a scripture last night, but I think that God communicates to people and the various religions. And I think that if you were brought up or raised and you believe in a certain religion, then yeah, you should follow that route to God. But I think that there is one God, and I think that there's just many ways to get to him, many ways to get to him. Random responses to the question, is Christianity the only way to score with God, or is it simply one of many ways? And were you to go to a restaurant today, were you to go to the mall today, were you to go anywhere and ask this question of random people, you would receive the same kind of responses. Yet Jesus himself boldly declared in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. And some people would say outrageous to the place they would get red-faced angry with you and very emotional and passionate. Others just from a very intellectual academic platform would say, well, that just doesn't make sense. The Church of Tolerance would say, you have your truth, I have my truth. And I have no right to challenge your truth. If, if that's what you want to believe, then, then you go ahead and believe it and buy into it, and hopefully it'll make you a better person. But, but I've got a different truth, and you have no right to challenge my truth. The Church of Postmodernism would say there is no absolute truth. And apparently they've been doing a pretty good sales job on the American culture because a recent Barna research poll revealed that 66% of Americans deny the existence of absolute truth. So if we stand as Christians on Jesus' word, are we being intolerant? I kind of... Think of a blind man standing on the edge of a cliff, sensing that he could be in danger, and hearing our footsteps as we approach him, he cries out, which way should I step? Well, the cultural response would be, oh, I really shouldn't say one way or another. I really shouldn't force my perception of what's 
in front of us on you. There's many different steps that you could take. There's many things you could do. See, that's the reasoning behind that challenge that Jesus is only one of many ways. We wouldn't respond that way. We would quickly go to that person and say, stop, don't move an inch. If you move at all, move backwards. And we would go and we would take that person by the arm. And we would lovingly and sensitively lead them to a place of safety. Why? Because there was a right course of action. There was a wrong course of action. And life and death were the result. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As outrageous as that claim may seem from a human perspective, if it is true, the most loving response that we could possibly have would be the same response we took with the blind man at the foot of the cliff and reached out with love and compassion and care and helped them to find a safe direction. And not just life and death, but eternal life and death weigh in the balances to this question. Well, as we share our faith, we are going to have resistance. And maybe you're here today, and you came as an inv- at an, the invitation of one of our regular attenders here at Florida Bible, and, and you're still seeking faith. You're still seeking truth. Well, there's a lot of explanations given for why Christianity isn't the only way and why Jesus' declaration that he's the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him is absolutely outrageous and certainly archaic. One of the responses and the challenges to that claim is that all roads lead to God. Just pick one. You saw it in the video. I think if you just get on one of the roads and one of the religious systems and and you follow that, then you're going to be okay. You're going to be a better person and you're going to be ready to face eternity. One of the reasons people feel that way and one of the explanations they give for feeling that way is that there are so many religions. And they say the mere fact that there are so many religious systems in the world, they are so numerous, gives evidence that one could not be possibly the right one among all the different religions. And so they say just the number of religions that exist suggests that there is not just one way, there are many ways to God. Well, you know, there are 32 football teams in the National Football League. But there's not going to be 32 Super Bowl winners. There's going to be one. There's going to be one team that has such an amazing season that they are going to hold and hoist that Lombardi trophy after winning the Super Bowl. In the Summer Olympics in London, there were over 10,500 Olympic athletes who competed. Now, were you to go to any of those athletes, you'd have to admit that they're successful athletes. Whether they won a gold, a silver, a bronze, or no medal at all, they qualified to go to the Olympics and to compete. But does that mean you could randomly pick any one of those 10,500 athletes and go to them and say, I want you to train me to go to the next Olympics, and they could successfully do that? Obviously not. There's 950 million subscribers to Facebook. And because there are so many, does that mean that you could just contact any single one of them and they would be a valued friend to you or they would be someone who could teach you 
everything that there is to know about Facebook. See, the mere fact that there are numbers of anything is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. And just because there are numerous religious opportunities out there doesn't mean that they're all right. It doesn't mean that they can save your eternal life. Another argument is that all religions are basically the same. And you heard it in the video again. Well, yeah, they're all, they all teach kind of the same thing. And as long as you follow one of them, you're going to be okay. But, you know, nothing is further from the truth. They're not the same. And especially when you compare Christianity to all the other ones. Christians believe in God. You know that some Buddhists teach that there is no God. In fact, the whole religious system of Buddhism teaches that there is a cosmic energy. There's a cosmic force out there. And the goal of each individual human being is to live life in such a way and over a period of living many lives, that's where reincarnation comes from, that you finally get it right and you actually lose your individual identity and are absorbed into this cosmic force. But there is no God. It's just a cosmic presence. Christians claim that there is one and only one God. Hindus have no trouble with the idea of deity. In fact, they claim there are many gods. A while back, Stella and I had the opportunity to go to Trinidad to speak for Dr. Burble Boudrum, one of the missionaries that we support down there. And we were driving around, and he was showing us around Trinidad. And, and uh, I noticed that, that in front of the houses, there were all kinds of poles that had colored pennants on them. And I said, what, what are all those pennants? What are all those poles? And he said, well, as you may know, Trinidad has a, a significant population of those who embrace Hinduism. And he said, each one of those poles with a pennant on the end of it represent one of the gods that that household worships and reveres. And, and I was amazed because there were as many as 30, 40, 50 of those poles and pennants in front of every house. See, because Hinduism has hundreds and hundreds of gods that you can choose from. And Jesus is welcome to be yet another one of those gods. No problem. Yeah, Jesus is welcome into the God pool. In fact, we'll create a special pennant and you can stick Jesus out in front of your house too. But Christianity says one, not many, not hundreds, not 10, not 20, not 30, one. Christians embrace Jesus' claim that he was God in human form. Muslims don't believe Jesus was God at all. Now, they'll tell you that he was a great teacher, he was a great moral person, and, and that you really should read his writings, and, and you should learn from them, but he wasn't deity. He wasn't God. See, the fact of the matter is, somebody is right, and somebody is wrong, or everybody is wrong, as atheists might claim. But mark it down, you can't say that everyone believes the same thing because they don't. And therefore, every religion isn't basically the same. If you study them and you understand them, you see amazing and significant differences between what they espouse and what they claim you need to believe and you need to practice in order to be ready for eternity. Then there's the argument that sincerity is what matters. And you get that too from people. They'll say, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe. If you're sincere and God knows and he looks down and you're in what, whatever religious system is out there and God sees that you have a sincere heart, 
then that's what he's going to judge. He's going to judge your sincerity. Well, what does the inspired word of God have to say about that? Well, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It's not important, just important how sincere you are. It's just as important in what you believe. I might sincerely convince myself that I could climb to the top of this building and jump off and fly. And I might get up there and say, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. But sincerely, the laws of gravity are going to prove me wrong. Sincerity does not equate with truth. All roads lead to God? No. All religions are not the same. And since Christianity is radically different from any other world religion, someone's right, someone's wrong. Either Christians are right or Christians are dead wrong. Christianity is unique to all the other world religions because Christianity is the only religion that is faith-based, that is solely based on believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of men, that he paid the sin debt with his sacrifice, and that only through faith in what he has already done can we have eternal life and eternal forgiveness of our sins. Every other world religion is a works-based religion. It's based on how well you do with your life, how moral you are, how ethical you are. How, how devoted you are to a religious system and religious rituals. Somebody's wrong. Since our eternal destiny rests on choosing the right faith, don't you think we better depend on something more substantial than just somebody's opinion? Well, right now, you as a believer, or maybe you as, as a seeker, someone who's still seeking truth, you might say, well, but why do you think you have the truth? Why do you think Christianity is true? Why do you think Jesus is the only way? Maybe you guys are wrong and everybody else is right. I wish I had time to answer that question in its entirety to, to you. But I have. I did an entire series here with you that is entitled, Is Jesus the Only Way? It represents six messages that demonstrate that Christians are not following blind faith. We are not deluded. We are not just randomly walking about just believing in something that is crazy. That there is substantial evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that he is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. You want to follow it up more? You can get the series at our Connection station or online. Another very emotional argument that is raised to challenge this idea that Jesus is the only way is this question. What about those who have never heard? Sometimes the question is raised this way. Are you telling me that two-thirds of the world's population are going to die and go to hell because they haven't heard about Jesus? That is an emotionally charged question, isn't it? And that is exactly the question that is being asked. And it is asked with passion, and it is asked 
from an indignant standpoint, and you saw it even on the video we looked at a moment ago. And you might get nailed right between the eyes as a believer in Jesus Christ with that exact question. You mean to tell me that only you guys got it right and everybody else has got it wrong? Do you understand how outrageous that claim is? Well, let me say first of all that it is preposterous that two-thirds of the world's population haven't heard about Jesus. Every generation since Jesus' life and death and resurrection has less and less excuse for not hearing about Jesus. Why? Because the gospel has permeated the world. The gospel has gone out. There are new manifestations and resources that are getting the gospel out every day. Brad sitting up here in the front where he has an entire ministry online especially to third world countries and especially to those who are living in lands where Christianity is suppressed and he chats with them and he, he shares what we learn here at Florida Bible with them and they are hungry and they are receiving the word of faith and responding to it by the thousands, aren't they, Brad? God has made provision for everyone to hear. Jesus' last words before ascending back up into heaven after his resurrection. Acts 1.8, and we, we share them many times here because we want to remind ourselves that this is our challenge. Originally, this challenge is given to the 11 remaining disciples. Judas had betrayed Jesus, and he had committed suicide by this time. And now Jesus is going to ascend up into heaven right before the the 11 disciples' eyes. And he says, just before he does, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to what? The ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened historically. They began, they embraced a new, a, a new position and characteristic of boldness and courage. And even at the cost of their lives and the vast majority of them suffered a martyr's death for Jesus Christ. But those who were cowering in fear after the crucifixion of Christ now boldly declared the gospel wherever they went. And Christianity spread rapidly through the world. And it was no time at all before the imperial world power Rome had embraced Christianity as the true faith. God has made provision for everyone to hear. But the primary provision still rests, as we talked about last week, right here. We looked at Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But the question that is raised that challenges, how about those who have never heard, has some validity. Because as Paul states, even back in the first century, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? That's our job. And it ends as we ended last week in that message, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. Our presence is to be a beautiful presence. We're not called to beat people over the head with the Bible. We're not called to treat people in a condescending manner, saying we have the right answer and you have the wrong answer. We are called to be people of love, and we are called to beautifully enter the lives of people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and everywhere God gives us the opportunity to bring 
Because we love people and we care about where they're going to spend eternity to bring that true gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, besides that, in response to that question, understand this, that God does not have to conform to our standards of fairness. See, we see everything through the filter of our own sinfulness. That's how we see life. We all embrace to one degree or another and bottom-up evaluation. Now, those of us who are honest about ourselves, we will readily admit that we are not the person we want to be. Not the believer we want to be. Not the mom and dad we want to be. Not the brother, sister. Not, not the parent. We're not who we really want to be, but we would be quick to say, but at least I'm not like that person. At least I haven't done that. At least I haven't. See, at bottom down, there's always someone lower than us that we try to rationalize our own goodness with. But the truth of the matter is God looks at things from an entirely different perspective. He looks at things from a perspective of being absolutely holy, absolutely just, absolutely pure. And all of us are on the bottom rung of the ladder in his eyes and according to the standards that are needed for entrance into his kingdom. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God revealed to his prophet Isaiah, he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God sees it altogether different. How does he see it? I think Lee Strobel, who is a Christian pastor and, and author, really summed it up well. He said this way, God will not unjustly deal with deal eternally with any man or woman according to his standards of fairness and his activity in the hearts of that man or woman. I love that. Look at that again. God will not unjustly deal eternally with any person. He's not going to be unjust. See, that question, how about those who haven't heard, implies that everyone is looking for God. They want God. They're hungry for God. But God's playing some kind of a game of hide and seek on them. When the truth of the matter is, the vast majority of people on planet Earth are not hungry for God. They're not looking for God, no matter what culture and race they come from. Think about this. Here we sit today, the vast majority of those of us here who have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We believe Jesus is the only way back to God. We've accepted that. We live our lives by it. So therefore, from God's perspective, we are the cream of the crop. But in all honesty, how committed are we really to him? As his children, how much does he consume our thoughts? How much does he consume our resources? The truth of the matter is, we also fall far, far short of what God's expectations for us should be. Truth of the matter is people aren't looking. They aren't hungry for God. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says that when it's all said and done, when time has come to an end, the Bible declares of Jesus Christ that God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Look what it says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven 
well, that makes sense. The angels of heaven will certainly willingly and passionately bow their knee before Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Those who have gone on and preceded us in death and who are with the Lord today, they will gladly, now they see him as he is, and they will bow the knee and proclaim him as the Lord. But look what it says, and on the earth, those who are alive at the coming of Jesus Christ, those who on the earth, those who are human beings who will stand before in judgment before Jesus Christ, they will also bow. And this doesn't imply that they will forcibly bow, that there'll be an angel push them to their knees, but they will see Christ for who he is and they will understand what Christ has done and they will understand the activity of God in their specific lives and hearts and they will freely confess that Jesus is Lord. Now look what it says too. It says, and under the earth. Don't miss that. That's speaking of the infernal regions. That's speaking of hell. That means that every demonic angel, the third of the angels that rebelled against God and joined the rebellion of Lucifer, Satan, every one of them, in the end, will bow the knee and they will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every human being damned to an eternal separation of God, they will not challenge God. They will not wave their finger in his face. They will not say, I never had a chance. They will not say, I never heard. They will never say, you never dealt with me. You never reached out to me. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus, you're just. Jesus, you're fair. Jesus. There won't be any challenges to this. Why? Because God has written on everyone's heart a moral standard. It's engineered in every human being. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts became darkened. See, even the smallest child has a moral code implanted in their heart, in their soul, in their conscience. And even a small child understands what's right and what's wrong. And when they do right and they do wrong. And guilt and shame fill them when they do wrong. Why do you think there are so many religious systems in the world? Because in the heart of every man and every woman, they know that they have fallen far, far short of some standard of righteousness, some standard of morality, and they are seeking out to find some resolve. They are seeking out to find absolution from their own evil. God has put that in every human being. Not only that, but he has given the knowledge of himself to every human being. goes on Romans 1.19, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made, so that, read it with me, all men are without excuse. God has given every man and woman the knowledge of himself. Also, those who seek him will find him. 
those who sincerely want God, those who sincerely have a hunger for his presence in their life, will find him. God isn't playing hide and seek. God isn't playing games. In fact, the book of Jeremiah says that the Spirit of God is constantly looking out over the face of the earth, seeking for that heart that will be tender towards God. And when God finds that heart, you can believe that somehow, some way, through some resource, God will reveal himself to them. Think of the Magi who came to Jesus at his birth. They were from the present land of Iraq. They were from a religious system unlike the religious system of the Jewish people, of God's own chosen people who were anticipating the coming of a Messiah. They, they didn't have that belief system. But yet God saw in them a sincere desire to be united with God. God saw in them a hunger and a passion for his direction. And so God miraculously put a star in the sky and filled them with a passion to follow that star to the place the Savior was born. In Acts chapter 10, we find a Roman centurion, a pagan, a polytheistic believer named Cornelius. He was a centurion. In other words, he was an officer in the Roman army and he was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. And the Bible says that he was a just man. And he was a man that offered prayers three times a day. He was a man who was trying to lead his family to faith in God, whoever that was, or the gods, whoever they were. But he was leading them in ignorance because he had not heard about the true Savior. And in his passion... The Holy Spirit saw his sincerity and he saw his hunger for God and caused a vision to fall on him and caused a vision to fall on the apostle Peter and he brought them together and Peter brought to them the saving knowledge that Jesus had died on the cross for his sins and he and his household trusted in Jesus Christ and they were eternally changed. Listen, God is looking for that heart that is tender towards him and when he finds it, He will visit that heart. He will visit that conscience. He will reach out with love and mercy and he will say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another pastor and Christian author, Cliff Nechtel, said this, "People people, people will be refused entrance into heaven because all life long they have told God that they can live just fine without him. On Judgment Day, God will say, based on your own decision to live life separately from me, you will spend eternity separate from me. It's our decision. It's my decision. It's your decision. That's outrageous, you say. It may be outrageous, But if God declared it, and if he gave us evidence that it's true, then we must embrace it. Jesus is the only way. Jesus declared it himself. The Bible reinforces it thereafter. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. But here's the good news. 
God will give it to every man. God will give it to every woman. And he has a passion to give it to every single man and every single woman. Because the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so what? Love the world. It's about love. It's not about wrath. It's not about judgment. It's all about love. It was a rescue mission that he sent Jesus on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, it may sound outrageous, but it comes with a promise, and that promise is this, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you bow your head with me? Maybe you're here today, and you came at the response of an invitation from someone who regularly attends here to be part of National Back to Church Sunday. But I'm here to declare to you that God had a higher purpose. Maybe you're here today and you're one of the the billion people walking the face of this earth who are following a religious system that says somehow you've got to work your way back to God. Somehow you need to become a better man, a better woman. And maybe, just maybe, you'll have done enough good with your life that God will allow you into heaven. Well, that's what every other world system declares. But Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And right now, God has brought you here today to give you that life, to impart that truth to you, to forgive you of your sin, and to give you the promise of eternal life. Right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. No one looking around, please. And you're here. And right now, the Spirit of God is speaking to you and saying, this is why I brought you here. I have brought you here to give you forgiveness. I have brought you here to give you the promise of eternal life. And all you have to do is trust in my son. Trust upon the name of Jesus Christ. And right now you know he's speaking to you. And you know you need this forgiveness. Well, no one's looking around just so I know whether the need is here or not today. And I won't embarrass you in any way. Would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Pete, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I need to. Yes, I see your hand. You can put it down. Yes, I see your hand. You can put it down. Others, as we wait a moment. I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but right now I feel God leading me to do that. Anyone else as we wait just a moment? For those of you who raised your hand, God has made it simple so that you can receive it right now. Receive it through a prayer of faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. Right now, God wants to just give it to you. You will receive it by just expressing your faith through a prayer that maybe goes something like this, and you can use this prayer if you want. God, I do confess that I am a sinner. I know I haven't lived life perfectly. And I get it now, God. I can't go to heaven because I'm not perfect. But God, that's why you sent Jesus to die on the cross You sent him to die in my place, to pay my sin debt with his blood. 
And because Jesus was the only one who lived the perfect life, he was the only one worthy to die for sin. And because only Jesus was willing to die for sin, God, I get it now. You've given him alone the authority to forgive sin. And so Jesus, right now, I'm humbling myself before your cross. Jesus, right now, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Today, I call upon the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Jesus, be my Savior. Now, the Bible says in the book of 1 John 5, 13, these things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you made that decision today, I'm going to ask you to take that connection card that was in your bulletin and make sure all the information about yourself is, is accurate and legible. And on that card is a place that says, My Decision Today. You can check a little box that says, I blank, trust that Christ is my Savior. Put your first name in that blank and then turn that card in at one of the offering kiosks or at the guest services booth in the lobby. And what we're going to do is, as a staff, we're going to pray and thank God for bringing you to this saving faith. And we're also going to send you in the mail a little booklet entitled, You Can Be Sure. And it'll reinforce the decision that you made today for Jesus Christ. Share it with us so that we can reach out to you. Now, church, look up at me. The vast majority of us had already made that decision. And so now we need to embrace another decision. We need to embrace Paul's declaration of Romans 1.16 and be united as we leave to hold our heads high as believers in Jesus Christ, to not crumble be from the pressure of postmodernism. And we need to declare with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed.